Alright, so welcome to the Only Real Fans podcast for KT Productions, presented by KT Productions, sponsored by KT Productions. Um, that's Only Real Fans with a double E in the real, because it's a movie podcast. We're talking about movies. About some Linklater movies today, specifically Days and Confused, Everybody Wants Some, and the Before Trilogy, Before Sunrise, Before Sunset, and Before Midnight, because we're, we all got hearts, we can't help but have our heartstrings tugged by those very, very touchy-feely movies, we're all strong men, confident in our masculinity, is that not right? Brian Riley and Dylan Bentledge. Amen. Hello. Oh. So we're a, we're a spread out crew, we got Brian in Connecticut, we got me in North Carolina, and Dylan in the exotic location of Amsterdam in Holland. Yeah, represent, man. Represent that Dutch connection. Um, so let's get right into it. I've got some notes here. We're going to talk. We can also go a little off topic, maybe. Um, first thing I got here is, well, Days and Confused and Everybody Wants Some are kind of Separate from the Before Trilogy, not entirely. Still got those Linklater elements in there. But uh, which one do we prefer? Days and Confused or Everybody Wants Some? They're definitely, Everyone Wants Some is sort of a spiritual sequel to Dazed. Dylan, what, which one was your favorite? Yeah, I mean, me and Brian were talking about this a little bit earlier when we, when, you know, just shooting the shit and normal. But um, I really like Everybody Wants Some. I think that might be because I saw it later when I was already in film school. So I could appreciate it more. And I remember seeing the first time Dazed, I wasn't really expecting that link later vibe um but if we're gonna break it down a bit past there my arguments for it was that there there's a clearer lead actor in everybody wants some to me than the ensemble cast that you get in dazed and i prefer that there's just you have one person that you can follow during the whole thing so it's you know it's your kind of gateway into that world which i prefer but um that is just one of the other one of the things i kind of liked and i also really really like the character finn so that's which we all know <laughs> Finn is like my ideal masculine funny but not overly masculine character yeah Dylan's got an idol Dylan's got a old school streak in him for the uh I need you to man. grow his mustache yes I will do it I'll grow the mustache and sideburns <laughs> I will do it yeah that dude carried the movie in my opinion he did really carry the movie he was he was a fun fun character um what do we what do yeah, we he's think? Not I mean, the, the main guy. No, no Jake's right. the main guy. He looks like Linklater, so of course he's the main guy. <laughs> he's just based off. He's just based off Linklater. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, yeah, Finn was. Uh, I mean, do we think now rather not Finn, but Jake, the the lead? Do we do we think he was like a good character, or was he just kind of there to keep everything tight? I think he was. He was just set to be the the outlier, because like. He wanted to do what everybody else did on his baseball team. But at the same time, you know, he wanted to hang out with, like, his punk rock um, friend from high school, even though a lot of people didn't really vibe with him on the team. And, you know, he as interested as he was in, like, getting girls like everybody else, he also was super interested in Zoe Deutsch's character. And, you know, they end up kind of forming something by the end. And... He's, so he's clearly out. He's there for not the exact same reasons everybody else. And I think that was, that was like the point. He was just supposed to be a little different and maybe a little more relatable. 
Yeah, no, definitely relatable. I think he's kind of the the vehicle through which Linklater is uh, trying to show you what the typical, well, I guess, uh, big man on campus anxieties might be. Um, trying to fit in, trying to, uh, this applies to any college student, trying to suss out where you belong. Uh, yeah, you know, I'd say he's a decent character. What do you think, Dylan? The issue I had with him a little bit, like, I like the character, Jake. I mean, I'm just now, I guess, for, you know, playing devil's advocate. The issue I have is, like, this little bit of, like, pseudo-intellectual thing that he carries on throughout the entire film. Because then I, like, sometimes I feel like it's really contrived and it doesn't really fit his character. I mean, we talked about it, but, like, his his um, thing about how he wrote baseball as Sis- uh, Sisyphus, like, the, the story of Sisyphus, which I just think doesn't actually apply the way he's trying to apply it. So it, d- it doesn't make it believable to me that that's, like, like it doesn't really make it believable to me that that's like going to get him into college or like maybe it's just a line for a girl, but I'm not really sure. Like I, I didn't really like that part. I thought like his, the idea that he's standing out differently and hanging out with his friend from home and not really wanting to do exactly this uber macho, like baseball team thing is one thing, but making him kind of like overly smart for his own good is, I didn't think fit his character at all. Yeah. No, I mean, uh, he's, uh, you know, this kind of leans into uh, another question I have later on uh, regarding Linklater's general dialogue. You know, it's whether or not this kind of pretentious but sort of self-acknowledgingly pseudo-intellectual thing, well, does he really acknowledge that it is pseudo-intellectual at times? Does he kind of intend to paint the characters as, you know, flawed, but having... They're not, they're not the uh, authority necessarily on all this stuff that they're talking about. They're just kind of bandying around ideas. Yeah. I mean, I guess I could, I guess I could see that. I, I think, like, look, at the end of the day, it kind of works, like, a twofold. So you can take it as is that he's an intellectual and he's more than just a baseball player. But if you read into it too deep and you don't think he's one of those people, you could also just see it as, like, no, you are just a baseball player. You're trying to be a pseudo-intellectual, though. And, like, it does, like, sway the theater girl... But like, it's not like if he was if he was trying to swoon a a classical studies girl. She might be well. Actually, like that's not really what Syphysis was about. Well, you know, she she wants to. I think there's a reciprocated interest romantically. So maybe she just didn't want to shoot him down. She's she's considerate of his ego. Also, he didn't really go into too much detail about the comparison. He just said that he made the comparison. So like, yeah, that's fair. So he did. He did a lot without doing much, and yeah. that's yeah, the pseudo intellectual. Like, like that, it just works for him because he's still a jock. You know what I mean? He's still a jock. He just, uh, I guess, that's his game, pretending to be smart or super smart. Is, is that a cliche? <laughs> like, is that a trope? The jock who reads. Yeah, kind of. Well, he doesn't Finn I mean, read. <laughs> <laughs> he reads with the pipe. He reads with the pipe throughout the Finn, movie. Finn reads the crap. He's 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 got that. Uh, Finn would be great at doing one of those like like how to pick up girls youtube channels you know (laughs) yeah if youtube was a thing back in 1980 actually i was thinking about that scene where he's reading in the room and like everybody's talking and he's like joining in on the conversations and i was thinking like man this is something that i just genuinely don't like in uh in movies where they try to assume that a character can read while there's other shit going on in the room like that's not like that's fake reading you're reading for yeah like brian said you're reading for the crowd you're reading to push off the imagery of reading, but there's no way you're digesting anything in that book if people are talking about other things around you and you're inter like interacting with that as well. There's no way. 
Yeah. No. It, he was posing with it. He's like, well, hmm, so yeah. this 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 kind of let's 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 shift focus here just a just a tad. Um, it's sort of in comparing uh, Days and Confused, Everybody Wants Some to the Before trilogy. Uh, do we feel like Celine and uh, Jesse, the two leads in that in those movies? Feel like they're are, are they pseudo intellectuals? They're they're definitely your. I mean, in this article that uh, Dylan sent us about that, which was great about before midnight. We'll get to that. Um, are they are they? You know, they're described as the the token uh, liberals that you're rooting for. You know, and maybe that doesn't apply to the current sense of what a liberal is. Certainly, in its time of place. They're, they're they're espousing a lot about the environment and uh, state of the world. Do we do we think they're kind of talking out their ass or? I mean, when I watched all of them, I got the, you know, I certainly thought that they were smart people, and they are. But a lot of their dialogue and like the way they talked about these subjects made me think they're just like pretentious. But their general character was very. But at the same time, it's like it was a. It was like pretentious, but also kind of like natural and like relatable in, in a weird way. Because like um, I didn't, whenever they talk about like their opinion or the, their political opinion on something, I didn't like get annoyed. You know, I was generally interested in like what they had to say and like discover like who they were and how they bounced off each yeah, other. It's an interesting take to flesh them out. You know, really get into their ideas and opinions. I think that's something Linklater does well. Yeah, um, paints a good character with some nuance. Maybe yeah, you know, I think less uh, so just than everybody to, wants them. If I'm being honest, I agree. Well, okay, just just to go back really quick to be, uh, talking about um, about that article, just in case anybody who actually wants to look up that article, I want to find it so that way everyone knows what we're talking about. Um, it's on where is it? I forget the name of it. Oh, uh, it's called the flattering uh, the flattening of Celine. How before midnight reduces a feminist icon on bitch flicks. Oh wow! Just in case anyone oh, wants on to bitch read flicks. that. It's called the website is called on bitch flicks. Bitch flicks. I see. It's, it's kind of like a, it's kind of like a feminist movie website. I think oh, so. Cool, yeah. Cool, cool, it's, cool. yeah. It's yeah. Um, it's so it's an interest. It's definitely an interesting read. But um, I I do see what you guys are saying about everybody everybody wants some and how that kind of gets uh, reduced there. I would also kind of argue that at some point like somebody's like trope or shtick is played out. So it's much different when you watch Before Sunrise because like that's that's the first couple of cases of watching these like pseudo intellectual people talk to each other about really intellectual things, yeah, right? I mean, I'm, but I'm starting that's to air 94. after Brian's comments that they, they are genuine intellectual worldly people. I, I oh yeah, of that. course. Yeah, one's an author, the, the, the other. Forgot what she did. She's an environmental advocate, Envi- a- right? So activist. like, well, I mean, just activist generally. Yeah. So you know, you don't do that because you're dumb. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, that's, that's true. <laughs> very true. You don't idea. care about the environment because you're stupid. <laughs> you care about it because you're smart and you know how to protect it and like what hurts it. Yeah, no, I mean, it's such a low bar for being smart. Hey man, you know be. the environment? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I guess my the impression that they yeah, I've heard of it. They're, they're, they're keen on the environment. <laughs> Dude, I was blown away, Brian. I was telling uh, Luis a couple days ago, uh, I was blown away that, okay, the dude that plays um, in um, Dazed and Confused, what was his name, Luis? Um, uh, something Cotrain. The guy who plays the stoner. No, no. Yeah, the stoner with long hair. Oh, yeah, that dude. Um, Ron Slater. Ron Slater. Oh, it's Ron Slater. The guy with long hair, where he wears the hat, yeah. and like he's, he's like. He's in a few of yeah. Linklater's movies, right? 
Yeah, but he's also in Black Mass as a gangster, and he was in White Boy Rick as a gangster. He looks so different now that I had no idea he was the same guy. His real name is Rory Cochran. Oh, shit. He looks so different. It's unbelievable. Wow. Cochran, that's how you say that. Yeah, no, I mean, that speaks to how many of those... I mean, how there's a good number of actors in Days and Confused that went on and did some stuff. They're, they're oh, yeah. with young, budding actors. I mean, you gotta say, like, uh, Obanion, the, the, uh, the, the role that uh, Ben Affleck has, he does a good job of it. You can see that Ben Affleck is going places. Buntle Burns, yeah, you no, mean? Yeah, we, we were trying to come up with what his name was. We couldn't remember Obanion's name, and we, we came up with Buntle Burns. That was, a, <laughs> that was our best approximation. <laughs> Yeah, it was close. It was close. Uh, There's a B in there. Bunt I mean, there should definitely oh be a character god. out there somewhere named Buntle Burns, or a person for that matter. That's, that's oh my god. Oh man, that's too funny. Uh, um, <laughs> what were we talking about before this? Um, no, but I do think like there might be a level of that that gets played out by the time you get to Everybody Wants Some, because he's just doing the same thing again, which is not a bad thing. If you like Linklater, then go and watch more Linklater, but... You know, it's it's any anytime you get a real auteur director, somebody who has like a, a shtick, that sometimes you can r- like run out of. I, I don't want to say patience for it, but it's just not as different, right? Like that's kind of happening a little bit now. Sometimes I think with Wes Anderson flicks, I love all Wes Anderson movies, but like there's another one coming out, and it just looks like Grand Budapest in black and white, and people are like, well, it's just the same thing, and. Yeah, that's great, but you don't really want it to change. If you like that, then that's what you're looking for. I will say, though, I thought Everybody Wants Him was just, like, his fun film. Like, you know, there was no... There's no real character development in it. Like, anything that happens along the way was stuff you you probably could have seen coming based on the characters. And it was just about a couple days before class and how this baseball team came together and had fun. Um... And how Jake wooed a girl, being fake smart. Do we think there's something? I feel like they maybe tried to develop the characters a bit more than they did in Days Confused. I think that might serve Dave and Confused well. They got this ensemble cast. You don't delve too deeply in anyone, and it, that that maybe makes it a lighter atmosphere even than uh, everybody wants some. A little bit of a you know more of a romp. I, th- I thought Days and Confused at the you know that takes place in one night, but I thought at least like. The main character, the the freshman with the long hair, at least him, by the end of it, he gets some sort of, like, growth or development. And a lot of other people did, too, through, like, the experience that happened in that night. I, they, I don't think they changed a lot, but, like, you know, they learned something, overcame something. More happened than just, like, the night ended and they hooked yeah, that's up fair. and got drunk. That's very fair. My favorite thing about both those movies, my favorite thing really about both those movies is the first time you watch them, there's a lot of points that are brought up where you think they're going to call back to or be a big deal. So specifically, like, um, when in Everybody Wants Them, the coach is like, no girls and no booze. And, like, you think that they're going to get caught or you think something's going to happen with that because the natural trajectory of story is that that's going to happen. But he just doesn't do that. You can't even see the coach again. It's It's just nice. You never even see the coach again. Yeah, the, the, I, I love that. Same thing in Days and Confused. It's the same thing with, like, what's that character? I think his name was Pink Floyd, or that was his, his name. His name was right? Floyd, they yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. yeah they, but they, like, if you, I think if you look him up, it's Pink Floyd, but they call him Floyd or no, something. No, they call him like, Pink his because his last name is Floyd. They call him Pink because yeah, 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 yeah. And, like, he, like, hooks up with another girl, and you think, like, his girlfriend's going to find out, it's going to blow up, and it just never does. It's just kind of, like, it's very much the day in the life 
type of storytelling. Yeah, nothing yeah. dramatic. Nothing terribly dramatic happens. No, it's not. It's it's honestly like the characters, the characters of like the seventies and eighties are more important than the characters themselves. Like it's almost like the time the the setting, right, is the the real character of the film, which is not a revolutionary idea. It's just very you know that's very nice. It is nice. It's very very nice. I, I mean, I like those movies more than the before trilogy because the before trilogy is trying to do something a bit deeper which i really like and i appreciate but those movies are really just meant to be so much fun like that you want to like there there's those are the movies where they make me want to be in high school again and if not in high school just in high school high school in the 70s or like in college again or but like now i want to try out for the baseball team and i want to wear short shorts that's all i was thinking about was ordering a pair of short shorts <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding, I already own a pair. <laughs> so uh, let, me, let me ask another uh, thing I got here. Um, what do we think of, what, what are Linklater's shticks? What, and uh, I mean, I've got a few Ooh. ideas. Um, what, what characterizes a Linklater film, if we had to describe it? nostalgia yep it's definitely one the idea of like just naturalism yeah exactly I, I definitely think that's one do we think he does that well oh yeah, yeah absolutely he might be one of the originators of that yeah one of the best to do it because like yeah absolutely like watching it a lot of the time like a lot of the dialogue that they talk about whether it's about like a hot topic or just general casual conversation it never like even even in like the before trilogy when Jesse and Selene are talking about like their ideas on like world views and stuff, it doesn't seem like you know, he it doesn't seem like they're forcing it. It all seems natural. It seems like something that they would say to each other. And uh I just I like that. I like how it just flow everything flows well. Yeah. It's very lo fi. It's very like you can see the origins of a lot of independent filmmaking now with like mumblecore and stuff because you can almost make an argument that a lot of these scenes were done like so ethan Hawke and uh what's her name julie delpley yeah, who plays yeah, celine yeah. they they helped write before sunset and before midnight because they had such an investment in the characters which really means they just kind of probably talked a lot and like worked out the conversation and then just wrote it down but there's a very very small difference between that and things that you see later in movies like drinking buddies where there's no script, right? And they have the actors just basically do the same thing for their characters. So you see a lot of that in there, too. It's super lo-fi and a lot, like, a very, very um, inspirational for things that came kind of later. And things that before, like, you could see a lot of Woody Allen, I guess. You could argue there's, like, Woody Allen vibes in some of, like, Linklater stuff. Yeah. Like, very, like, again, lo-fi. But, like, even lower. Like, he even, like, brings it, like, like a step even further down, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, I, could, I definitely agree with the Woody Allen comparison. The Before Trilogy is really, it, it really, you know, obviously hones in on those two characters, and they embody those characters really well. I think it is un, maybe underrated kind of acting. Uh, you, you don't realize they're acting, they really are just these characters, and they, they don't have to be anything other than those characters. There isn't any plot that they have to really react to. They, they're just, you know, living in that skin. Um, yeah. What, so another shtick I think he's definitely got going on is the use of time and you know boyhood speaks to that we didn't watch that one for this a little bit of a, a little bit of a long movie to get through given our busy schedules 
Um, what time difference? Yeah. Is, man? What do you What do you think of his use of time? I mean, nostalgia, passing of time, spaces in between the before trilogy movies. Uh, what do we What do we think of that? As well as like he likes doing things in kind of a real time style. Uh, what's he trying to get across with that? What do you think he's trying to investigate? Just Just what is it? The passage of time. What is it like to grow and change? Well, I like the fact that he is good at. So he either goes the extra mile with time, like obviously with before trilogy, each movie's nine years apart, and you're seeing this relationship over the course of like of time. Like each movie is like nine years apart from each other, and you just see how how far they've come and how much they like developed in their relationship. But then, like days confused, that's all one night, and then everybody wants some is like three. Is it's like three? I think it's three days. Or two days. Three days. Three two days. days. Three days. Uh, so he's just good at making the most out of either, like, cramming a few days or, like, one day into one movie or, like, fleshing out, like, a long stream of time over the course of a few movies or, like, boyhood over a very long time. He's just, uh, but it doesn't, it never feels like you're, you know... It doesn't feel like you're you're stuck in this long st- stream of time like it all it all kind of like comes full circle i guess i have a weird one on this where i think like nostalgia is kind of an easy uh, string to tug it's not very hard to make people nostalgic you know um but that's not saying that i i'm trying to, to make a dig at um link later at all because i also think like if like just because it's easy doesn't mean that anybody's done it before they just maybe have never thought about it a lot of great ideas are just things people never even thought to try in a film and I'm sure he's not the first to play with nostalgia. I'm not going to speak to anyone else I know that did. But he's one of the first guys that's, like, I just think he's such a patient filmmaker. Like, look at all, like, if you look at all his movies, man, like, he knows that a good thing you wait for. And you see that with the Before Trilogy, like, waiting nine years to do a sequel. Because you could easily do a sequel two years later and just say it's nine years later. But instead, he's like, nah, like, we're going to really do it nine years later. I'm excited to see you guys in nine years. And then he does that again with Days and Confused, Everybody Wants Them. There's what, 26 years, uh, 23 years, sorry, between those two movies coming out. But they're very similar in vibe and, and, and tone. And then you have it with Boyhood, where he's like, you know what? Instead of taking it through individual movies, let's do it in one movie. So at one movie, we film over 12 years. Like, that's easy to do. It's just not a lot of people have patience to do that. You know, you get excited to do the next one right away. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, uh, the, the the thing that strikes me is that you do have to be a bit patient through some of his movies, partly because there isn't any real plot to guide you, you know? None of these movies have any particular plot to guide you. I think Before Midnight might stand out because it does have kind of like an arc of the conflict in there, and and certainly with the, the romance parts of uh, the, the two previous movies, there is an arc that builds up and... Uh, settles out he has some resolution at the end but uh how that stands out to the everybody wants some and all that is interesting it's like you know little moments versus vast moments of time yeah i have a question for you louise like so you're the one that chose this month right so me and brian never had seen the before trilogy before why were you so interested in wanting to get us to watch that like what are like what are the things that you look at that movie like this is why i find that movie so good because you chose this month and you've seen all of them too so usually we're like you know me and brian picked like 
things we haven't seen, but you were like, no, 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 these are important. Let's watch these. Yeah, no, I mean, I, well, the Before Trilogy in particular, I just love. I do, I do love the other two movies that everybody wants to have in Days of Confused, but the Before Trilogy, it's, I mean, I really enjoy that dialogue, that type of dialogue. And uh, it's, it's another director who I really love that does that is Noah Baumbach. He does it in a slightly different style, which I would argue is almost more natural, the, the way he does dialogue. But it's they they do talk about compelling things, and at the same time, it's they they become really well-rounded characters that I got very invested in. I think yes, I, I was talking with Brian about this before. In the same way, the nostalgia is an easy string to tug. The, you know, wanting their relationship to work out is an easy tug. You know. Yeah, but you know, but easy with the caveat that it takes time. So the fact that he made us wait. 18 years to see three moments of this couple is what makes people so invested in the couple because if it was only you know five years three movies but they're supposed to take that much time away we don't spend enough time away from them to really want to see them again so it's easy but also it requires a lot of patience yeah definitely definitely and i i think that uh, the reason i really wanted us to watch this because they are interesting movies that you really have to almost interact with you know you have to have that patience. You have to be invested in their conversation. You can't just kind of like other movies. You may be able to pass over certain bits, but in the sense, you know, still get an idea for what the plot is. In, in in a sense, you even though they're having you know a appropriately mundane conversation while still keeping you engaged, um, you can't really miss any beats because the whole thing is important as collective. You know, the whole every conversation they have. Every interaction, little interaction they have, you have to follow those to get an appreciation for the uh, development of those characters. Now, let's talk. Well, I think we should break down the three of them now because we've been talking about them all as an individual entity, and this is something that we've all talked about in the last month a little bit over it. But you guys both know, before midnight is the one I think is actually the least good in the sense of the execution on a lot of things. I think there's a lot of problems with it, but um, weirdly enough. It's also my favorite one. So I have a hard time reconciling that. I like that one the most, but I see the most issues with it, which I don't really know. I mean, I guess they're not necessarily mutually exclusive, but it is kind of a weird thing. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree completely. Um, it's, uh, it's the most ambitious because it's not just uh, taking you through that kind of easy to tug on, as, as I would say it, um, you know, development of a relationship, which is all very rosy and nice. This is going through a, you know, a conflict, which really is not something they had tried yet, trying to keep that natural style with an actual kind of, uh, you know, conflicting dynamic, more uh, uh, aggressive dynamic between the two, at least on the part of Celine. And so let's talk about why, do we think Celine's character in that movie is, a, is at all a potentially narrative uh sorry rather natural development or does it does it feel like they're failing her character so for the first two really the only conflict was the idea of distance you know the fact that like this is their one night together and they're going to be like continent like a continent away and you know with the lack of real technology you know they can't really keep in touch that well um so just hoping that they'll see each other again um, and like keep it going and this one you know we're deep into their relationship married kids all that stuff and we not married they never get oh, married they weren't married no they don't get married they talk about that in the church take that back I watched the movie everybody uh, 
but well they're together and have kids there you go um but we don't but this is the first time where the idea of having a conflict bigger than distance can take its toll and since we never got to see that until this movie nine years down the road from the last one i just i feel like a lot of it just it's i feel like it's a natural couple's quarrel of like all of these issues whether they're minor or major they just kind of like it gets to the point where like they built up and like especially with him with jesse talking about like being apart from his son uh like the whole time she just kind of like had enough of it and she didn't really articulate it that well but what do you do like when you're just so like fed up about like some certain topic you can't really articulate it well you just kind of talk because you're angry you don't think about it so I yeah. think like their whole argument while sometimes at certain points you're kind of like how do we get here like this just seems so like over the top or like you know not true to their character we also never seen them angry before like this is the first time we've seen them really angry at each other and like frustrated where like they're gonna they're gonna take it on like anybody else just like not thinking blowing things out of proportion and just like just being a crazy ass fight out of everything that I think you could say wasn't good about that movie, the naturalism, the na- naturalism, that's a word, yeah, um, of it was not a problem for me. Everything they bring up is, it seems logical. It's actually kind of amazing to me that I don't think Linklater and Julie Delpy and Ethan Hawke planned out where the third movie was when they finished the second one. So they did it a couple years later when they're preparing for it, and they just built off the things they put in in the last one. So we hear about the Jesse's kid in Before Sunset, and then it becomes a bigger thing in Before Midnight, and that seems, that's very natural to me. It makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. They've also built up their opposing views on things, because since Before uh, Sunrise, we've been hearing about uh, Celine's, like, um, activist, um, you know, agenda, and also Jesse's more, like, romantic ideal as a novelist. So it seems really, really natural. Nothing, nothing in there for me made, the, made it seem unnatural, especially the way they fought. Because like Brian just said, like, their fights, it ebbs and flows, and that's exactly how fighting is. There's times where you have really smart, logical points, and then there's other times where you're just saying things to be mean, and halfway through the fight, you usually think, how the hell did we get here? Like, it was so, it worked so well. I mean, I guess the the real issue I had at the point at some points was just I felt that the argument was leaning towards Jesse's side and I was really interested and honestly if we were going to do this podcast again I would love to have Emily Zisco, a collaborator and a friend of Brian and I to talk about it more because the thing that I have a hard time reconciling is is it that Jesse's more understandable or more relatable because he was in the right most of the time? Or is it because I view it that way because I'm a guy and I empathize with the the male character more than I do the female character just because that's how things will work. So I'm really interested to hear that dialogue. I still stand by it that I think that Celine came off a little bit out of character for me in the fight um, because of, you know, just some things that she was saying that just genuinely didn't make sense. And like what we talked about is if the root of her anger and frustration is that he wants to be close to his son and that stems from jealousy that's okay and that makes sense to me because people try to rationalize or make uh, or make it logical when in fact the root of what you're feeling is not logical but you're never going to say that you're never going to say i'm angry and i know it's not fair but this is it she basically started 
the fight. So, like, you're gonna, like, off the cuff, you're gonna think that, you know, she is in the wrong for starting this fight just because, you know, it's just kind of like if you watch a kid get picked on in school and, you know, who swung first yeah. type deal. She swung first. But the problem... The, the problem is there also, like, and I've, I've heard the argument in this article again um, on Bitchflix, check it out, um, is that it's her fight is based off a non-existent premise. So she's angry because she thinks Jesse's trying to move her to the U.S., which he never says and she continually brings up. She continually brings up this idea of you're trying to get me to move, which he never says. And so she doesn't only start the argument. She also chooses what the argument's about. And we don't really have a lot of reason to believe that besides her saying that. And again, that doesn't that's not necessarily saying that maybe he's not trying to do that. But because we don't see these characters on a daily basis, we don't actually see that. We have to take for word what we're hearing. And what we're hearing is Jesse didn't say anything about that. Jesse's just missing his son and you're making an argument out of it. And then there's also that part where she argues like, you know, where they talk about how they moved back from New York to France so she could have the kids. And there didn't seem to be a lot of problems there. But the fact that that's even brought up makes it sound like, OK, that's even crazier that Jesse's willing to uproot his life. He hasn't even mentioned moving and she's already really, really uh, combative about it, constantly trying to start an argument about it. Yeah. Yeah. It's very true. Yeah. I, I, I did get like... that feeling during those parts. Yeah. I'd say the consensus on this is that it kind of came out of the blue and maybe wasn't in line with Selene's character, but they still executed it well. They still yeah. made it, you know, even in spite of it being a very, uh, you know, con- conflict-based interaction, which stands out from all the other interactions in the other movies in the Before Trilogy, they still executed it well. It maintained that natural feel yeah. and that, that, genuine kind of, uh, that genuine kind of characteristic. It was really, but yeah, it came off really well, but my argument would be that it was slightly unbalanced. And what I would be really interested in is in a fourth installment, seeing a moment more where we side with Celine over Jesse. Like getting more, like, you know, more Mm. of a side of like, now Jesse's done something where we're more on Celine's side. Like we see a little bit of a darker side on Jesse. Um, It's not unnatural because it fits within their characters. I just think there was things they could have done if they wanted to make sure the balance of the argument was still up in the air and rather not swaying to one character over the other so if jesse was mentioning like moving at all would have changed that right if they hadn't moved back to europe for her or that didn't get brought up that would change that it's also like the whole funeral thing when you find out like his grandma died and she's like i don't want to go back like i think it would be awkward and he puts no argument or fight into her saying no you don't have to come to the funeral with me yeah 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 I did not think that part was weird. Yeah, it was weird. There, there, it was just kind of strange. There's some kind of bumps in the road with the uh, four midnight. Like if he if definitely. he asked her and like before sunset, she said no. I'd be like, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you've been together for nine years. Like I would assume you'd want to come to the funeral with me, or at least support me in an emotional state. Which is another thing that they talk about in this article, which is crazy. Like he's obviously going to be emotional when his son leaves that's normal but your partner should be empathetic to the fact that that's something that should that bothers you and again if it's rooted in this idea of jealousy like i get it he has a kid with another woman that's not an easy thing like i i'm also i don't want to say i think celine's the bad guy at all because that's a lot of that's a lot to handle she's got to handle with the fact that people want to get jesse's autograph like they know him as the novelist they know her as the like as the woman in his book like there's a lot she has to deal with 
but it's just never anything that he specifically does intentionally to hurt her that makes me feel like okay it's still like a flimsier argument right he didn't intentionally have another kid just to hurt Celine. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, you know, I think maybe uh, in the good next question, since we're debating the merits of all these movies, what is your what is your final ranking? All five of these movies. What do you? What do? You, where would you place each of these movies? Dylan, you want to go first? Sure. Um, yeah. So I think my favorite one is Everybody Wants Them because it's just a great time, and I can rewatch it and rewatch it. In fact, I have just put it on the next day after watching it once because i just love it so much um then i'd go before midnight because again with all the problems i have about it i think it gives you the most substance to work with there's so much that you can debate about it there's a lot to read in there i read another article talking about how this the message in this one is that real love is really really difficult and i think it's such a refreshing break because it gives you a it brings together the logic of life and love and how those can coexist. And that's kind of what that movie was doing for me. Um, then it gets tricky. I would say Dazed and Confused before Sunrise and then before Sunset for me. Okay. I like Dazed and Confused a lot because of the actors in there and I think it's a great story and the music. the music's awesome. Um, before Sunrise, it's just... Oh, there's so much great dialogue in Before Sunrise. I mean, we haven't given enough attention to Before Sunrise and Sunset, so I'd like to talk about that if we can. But, like, that conversation when they're, when they're pretending to talk to their best friends is just such an awesome, beautiful thing. It's so nice. Um, and then it's not that I don't like Before Sunset, but it really kind of felt like a transitional film, like one from when they met to when they're together me and it's kind of shown also in the structure the fact that it's played out in real time it's only an hour and 40 and that's how long they spend together feels kind of just like the the b point in an a b c line and we need that there so you can understand the other two but it's not necessarily my favorite okay brian i think for me days confused would be number one he made good points about before midnight dylan and i do feel the same way about it um, so I feel like that would be my second. I think I might go midnight and then probably sunrise, but I don't know. Cause like everybody wants some, I do like it, but in terms of, and I'd watch it, I'd watch it way more. I'd watch it again well before I rewatched the before trilogy. And I like to rank movies on rewatchability, but at the same time. I was really captivated by the course of events in like the before trilogy i think more so than i was with everybody wants them so i feel like midnight and sunrise might be before everybody wants them and then sunset last but also of the three before trilogy movies i like the idea of sunset the most i like the fact that it was an hour and 20 minutes and it was actually an hour and 20 minutes of them together like, I just thought that was a cool idea. And it wouldn't, it, like you said, Dylan, it was a great transition between when they first met and to where they end up together. But that is it. What do you think, Luis? You know, I mean, this isn't me playing devil's advocate. I, I know you both put Sunset last, but Sunset is my favorite. Uh, I just really enjoy the, you know, I enjoy the lightness of it. I enjoy that they do resolve that cliffhanger from Sunrise. That just, I enjoy that. 
Um, I'd say second, I, uh, another thing on Sunset, I, I really like the, the real-time element of it. That, that gets me. It's a good shtick as far as I'm concerned. Um, I'd say second, I'd say Dazed and Confused. Uh, I, I, I like that they do build up some conflicts and then resolve them very easy breezy. You know, like, you're going to get paddled. You just get paddled, and it's not the end of the world. You end up getting to be friends with uh, the, the the other cool seniors and stuff. Um, they get caught by this guy with the gun after they trash his mailbox, and they just drive away. Everything's all right. You know, a little bit of, uh, you know, recklessness that doesn't go punished, really. Watch the leather, man. Yeah, right. <laughs> and then uh, after that, I'd have to put... Um, Probably before midnight, just for all the reasons we talked about already. It is a more ambitious kind of look at more of a conflict than Sunrise and Everybody Wants Some. I do like Everybody Wants Some. I could definitely watch that endless times. But it just, it for me, it, it lacks a little bit more of the substance that you have in those other movies. That movie to me is like, I mean, there's a lot of movies I feel like this about, but that movie is like... Um a popcorn and a soda type film. Like, I just want to go watch it and I have a good time. And it's not really something that I need to think about too much afterwards. You're just, like, enjoying everything you're seeing. Um, I got a lot of movies like that that they're just so rewatchable that it doesn't matter how many times I see them. It's just really enjoyable to see again. Um, shout out to, like, The Nice Guys. Mm. I like The Nice Guys. Oh, yeah. It's very similar to that. That's a great movie. And I just want to rewatch and rewatch it. So... Everybody wants some is enjoyable on a rewatchability level. It's just you can you watch it. You can't over argue over with again. fun. You can't argue with fun. Yeah. No, it's just fun. It's just a really fun time, and that's kind of like Days and Confused as well. But there's more to unpack because it's the first one. It was like kind of a big thing when it came out. It was like a yeah, big yeah. deal. You know. Yeah, that's probably part of why I um, played second. Um, yeah. For so sure. we we've been going for about uh, forty five minutes here. Uh, maybe some final thoughts. Are we are we announcing our next theme? Here. I got it. I love it. What, what do we got? What do we got, Dylan? Unfortunately, unfortunately, so just like another thing, we invited other people to join this uh, movie club. This movie club kind of just started with like me and Brian during quarantine, thinking, all right, we want to expand the cinematic horizons and watch things we haven't seen before. And then we invited Luis in, <clears throat> and I invited a couple other friends in. My other friends didn't do their homework, which kind of led the uh, idea to the way of doing this KT podcast. Um, of just, you know, every month and the movies we're watching, kind of just a conversation about it. Um, but I've decided, guys, so I had three things going in my head. The three were uh, the original Planet of the Apes five films um, from the 1969 one to the last one. I don't remember the date of it. The All of the Mad Maxes from one till four or Antiquity Epics. And I've decided on Antiquity Epics, which is probably not going to make you guys jump up and down because they're really long like four hour plus films how do you expect me to watch uh, the extended lord of the rings if i have to watch this shit now <laughs> yeah oh my god but here i got good news okay we're only gonna do two okay we're only gonna do two and you can break up the watching because they're absolutely that long but the two that i really really want to watch um, is Ben-Hur, the original Ben-Hur, and Ten Commandments, for Charlton Heston. Wow, I have okay. actually seen that one. You've seen the Ten Commandments? Hell yeah, I watched it in religion class so many times growing up. 
No way. Like the OG 1956 Ten Commandments with the matte paintings they did, which has got some of the craziest visual effects for the time. Because they didn't have computers, right? Mm -hmm. So they had to paint all the backgrounds and like remove them. And it was just unbelievable. Have you actually uh, seen it? So you're not going to watch it this month? Well, we'll see. Oh my God, it's almost four hours. Jesus. Dear God. (laughs) It's two films. You get 31 hey, days no, to watch no, no, no. I, yeah, two I'm not, films. I'm not arguing with you. I'm not arguing with you. I'm just... Wowzers. I feel like... Look, so, again, what the other two months that we did before this were kung fu films. We had five movies for the kung fu movies. And then uh, for July, we did Spike Lee films. And so this month with Link Later, we've kind of now gone on this idea of auteurs for two months. and um, Which is really interesting and stuff, but I kind of want to completely change what we did like something completely different and the furthest i could think of was antiquity epics things that took place before christ oh they're both so, with uh, charlton heston <clears throat> cool so it's almost a charlton heston month. yeah okay wow okay well you got something so, to look forward to next month um, there's the gonna be a too. lot of discussion a lot of yeah good... he's in planet of the apes too <laughs> okay maybe we should just throw that in there uh <laughs> I don't know if I can handle all three. I don't yeah, think so. no, that, that, that would be something. Brian, I swear, I swear to God, you still need to watch The Lord of the Rings. Luis, I'm surprised you haven't made that like the theme <laughs> just to get. No, because I've I've seen it over a hundred times. But Luis, this guy has not seen Lord of the Rings since it was in theaters, and he's trying to tell me that like that's like enough viewings. I'm I didn't like, say that. You were like, I just said I haven't gotten around to watching it again. <laughs> It's you were six years old. You were six years old when that was in theaters. Just the what the hell? Okay, I will. I will say we definitely watched the trilogy again together at some point at your house. So, still in elementary school. I don't school, remember. But it. like you know, I watch it once every six months. That's about and that's that's still too oh, little. Congratulations. <laughs> Did did you see that meme, uh, Luis, about the guy who is like the the guy who put on the first movie, but every time Sam takes a step forward, it goes back to the scene where he's like, "This is the furthest I'll be from home," like if I take another step. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I know what you're did talking you see about. That? That's, that's great, dude. It's nine and a half hours. That's just the first film. <laughs> the guy commented <laughs> on the video, and he's like, um, "A certain number of likes, I'll do the second one." <laughs> oh boy. Well. Guys, it's been good. A lot of good discussion. I'm looking forward to do this with some really long movies. Yeah, it will be, uh, be a maybe a longer episode next month. Yeah, yeah, yeah maybe a four hour episode. <laughs> All right, guys. All right, Great talking to you. Let's uh, to you, meet buddy. again next month. Yeah, thank all you all right, for we'll tuning in. Thank you for yeah, tuning in, everybody. Take care.